Okay, if you'll turn to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8 as we continue our study in this book. This is dealing with authority and it's wisely viewing authority. It's the name of the title. It's not always easy, especially when the authority uh, over us is doing something unruly or unjust that we think is unruly or unjust or we think it's not right. And it's not only talking about, I know it's primarily talking about a king here and referring to the king as Solomon is speaking, but uh, we can use this uh, authority issue with anyone that, uh, or any position that we might be serving under someone else. And so uh, he talks about wisdom here in how we should deal with things. And so he says, uh, who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure for there is a proper time and procedure for every delight when a man troubles in uh, when a man's trouble is heavy upon him if no one knows what will happen who can tell him when it will happen no man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death and there is no discharge in the time of war and an evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied to my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for um, your love and your grace. Thank you for the music. Thank you for this time of worship. And thank you for your word and your message. But I know that this message cannot be meaningful to us and cannot speak to our hearts without us allowing the Holy Spirit to deal with us. And so I just pray that you deal with us in whatever manner it might be. It may be instructing us as far as knowing how to. It may be convicting us and seeing how we've not handled certain situations or not handling certain situations properly. Or it may be just in, in encouraging us, knowing that we have done this and that we're following that pattern we know this and and lord we uh, want to continue on and and may we be challenged uh, by all of it whether we're doing it whether we need to do it whether we we've done something wrong that that we need to uh, be challenged to seek out your wisdom in all matters and and to know what you would have us to do and and to do it uh, according to your will that will bring honor and glory to your name so may your uh, uh, your grace deal with our lives and our hearts in this matter may the holy spirit have the freedom to work the way that he so desires and lord may you do the work that uh, needs to be done to bring us closer to you to make us a people of your kingdom that exemplify this in everyday life for i pray this in jesus name amen helmuth von Malky was drafted, and uh, forgive me if I'm uh, pronouncing this wrong, but drafted to work in K-12 
counterintelligence for Nazi Germany. Yet his Christian faith made him a resolute opponent of Adolf Hitler. Although he believed it would be wrong for him to use violent force against the Nazis, von Mauke used his high position to rescue many prisoners from certain death. And because of that, not surprisingly, eventually he was accused of treason, put on trial, and sentenced to die. And in his final letter home to his beloved wife, Frigga, Helmuth, or Helmuth, described the dramatic moment at his trial when the judge launched into a uh, triad against his faith in, in Christ. And this is what was said, only in one respect does the national socialism resemble Christianity, he shouted. We demand the whole man. Then the judge asked the accused to declare his ultimate loyalty. From whom do you take your orders? From the other world or from Adolf Hitler? Where lie your loyalty and your faith? course we knew where his loyalty lay he had put all his hope and trust in Jesus Christ therefore he stood before his earthly judge as a Christian and nothing else <coughs> and his faith had enabled him to act wisely and in government service and enabled him to act wisely when he faced his final hour as a believer in Christ he understood the difference between his proper exercise of authority and the abuse of power of it he also knew the wise course of action when he was under someone else's control and in danger of his life and so Ecclesiastes talks about this and how we should view it. Uh, Ecclesiastes 8 teaches us how to exercise the uh, same kind of wisdom in our own submission to authority. And these verses gives us practical guidance for dealing with uh, earthly government, whether good or evil, even in matters of life and death. And so the opening verse of this chapter is transitional. It summarizes what chapter 7 had been talking about, and that is the wisdom of God, while at the same time preparing the way for what the rest of the chapter, chapter 8, says about things outside our control and how to act with that in wisdom. So the Jews often suffered at the hands of, of foreign oppressors, but they also suffered from their own king, Solomon even. I mean, he... Uh, He'd been guilty of putting his own people under heavy uh, uh, yoke of bondage. And so in 1 Kings 4, 7 through 28. And these rulers held the power of life and death in their hands and often used that power unpredictably. You just never knew what was going to come from them. And so... Solomon seems to be describing a person under the authority of another like the king and a servant. He says, who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes him his stern face to beam. 
Ecclesiastes 8.1. So who is wise and who really has a skill to explain something, he's telling us, that is hard to interpret. We can't say uh, that no one has that because he follows up in the last second part of it. He says, a man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. In other words, he's answering that. He's saying a man of wisdom knows that. He gets it from above. And, and it, this wisdom even changes his outlook on life and changes his countenance so that it, there's a beam about him. There's a glow about him. The preacher tells us that, uh, uh, you know, here a person's countenance will even change as he lives out, seeks out God's wisdom and lives it out. Uh, He tells us wisdom brings a poise about a person. And uh, because why? Because he's assured of what is right as he seeks it out with God. And there's nothing better than to pray about a matter and to seek it out and to go on the wisdom that God gives you, knowing that you're not contradicting God's word, and you just act in the best way you can and know that you have done it according to God and his power. Nothing else. And you just, you've sought out his wisdom. And you haven't gone against his word, but you've gone with his word. There's no greater privilege of understanding when we, uh, you know, come from where we know who we are. We know what we've been. And we know what God has done for us. And that that sin has been removed. And now that we are seeking God's will, it pleases our heart and it changes our lives. And it, there is no greater blessing than that. And there is no other place to find these answers than from God's word. And that's where we're seeking it out. Now, everything's not black and white, you know, and, and you know, this is who you're going to marry, this who you shouldn't marry, and this type of thing. But it, there are principles there in who you can or should marry and who you shouldn't. And so in a world full of questions, it's wonderful to know that there are absolutes, aren't there? There are absolutes about life. And we know that, the, that these absolutes are. And, and they, uh, you know, every little specific thing is falls under these absolutes in, in the, uh, the greater realm of them. And so we, we know that. And some things in life we can't understand, but some things we can understand. And, uh, but we've got to be faithful to God and his word and, and to know that we're acting according to what we believe is said in his word. Even though we may not understand everything about it. And so we need to understand that to deal with authority properly, then we need to seek out his wisdom. Because in certain situations, you know, if it's going against God's word, what do we do? How do we act? Do we yield to that authority? And how should we yield to that authority? And and what should we do? And this is what Solomon is saying. Someone who has a wisdom to solve these vexing problems can be found in the Bible. And we should look at those. We can look at those uh, practical experiences like with, with Daniel who was carried off in the captivity in Babylon. He was trained at, uh, in the courts of uh, Nebuchadnezzar. 
And uh, only Daniel and a few of his friends were wise enough not to eat the meat that the Babylonians offered to their gods. God had given them a plan to, to use. And so the Bible tells us that in every matter of wisdom and understanding, Daniel knew what? Ten times as much as any of the scholars there or magicians that were in Babylon in Daniel chapter 1. Later on, Daniel turned out to be the only man in the entire kingdom who was wise enough to reveal and interpret the king's dream. So that was found in Daniel 2. And so godly wisdom made a difference in the way people saw Daniel and the way people saw the other Hebrew children that followed that example. Wisdom made his face, we would say, shine, as the writer here says. The Babylonians could see that their appearance was even better than the appearance of these, their young men after they had been challenged here to, uh, with that. And godly wisdom makes a difference in the way people look. Godly wisdom, knowing who has saved us, knowing what he has done, knowing that his way is the best way, and knowing that we don't understand everything all the time in every situation fully, but we can trust God and we can go on what we do know and we can be uh, assured that we, with our intent, are pleasing God according to the word of God by the way the Holy Spirit is leading to the best of our ability. And it can bring joy to our hearts and our lives. Wisdom made his face shine in the others. Godly wisdom makes a difference in the way people look. In, in the year 2008, there was an essay by a prominent atheist about a strange phenomenon he had observed in Africa. And the journalist, Matthew Paris, wrote a piece for the Times entitled... Why Africa Needs God. Now this is an atheist, not a Christian. And he said, although Paris made it clear that he does not believe in God at all, he admitted that Christianity made a tangible difference in the lives of people he knew in his boyhood home of Malawi and in other countries across Africa. Not only did he admire, it says, the good work that Christians were doing to care for the poor and sick, but he also liked the way they looked. And he wrote this. He said, the Christians were different, for their faith appeared to have liberated and relaxed them. Isn't it wonderful to see a person not struggling and I I know at times we do struggle even at death but a Christian who is ready to go home and is relaxed in it and just ready to meet the Lord it makes a big difference people will tell you that people will say did you see the peace that was in their minds and their heart upon them at that time now like I said That's not always the case because 
Sometimes we're struggling so, and the struggling just gets too much for us, doesn't it? It's not that we don't have the peace, but there's not the, the lack of hope that they see in our eyes because they see that hope. There's just a struggle from within of what we're going through. And he went on, he said, there was liveliness, a curiosity, an engagement with the world. Whenever we entered a territory worked by missionaries, we had to acknowledge that something changed in the faces of the people we passed and spoke to. Something in their eyes. Boy, what a testimony. You see, biblical wisdom can bring a personal transformation. It makes a difference in our witness. Showing people the joy of Christ. They see it in us. How many times have you been able to share with somebody or somebody with you share with somebody and a person that you were sharing with later tells you, you know, I saw a difference in your life and that's what really made a difference in my life. I saw that what you were sharing was truly real and sincere in your heart. I could see it in your face. I knew that you meant it. So it, it makes a difference in our relationship. Also, not only uh, our witness, but our relationships in who we meet and our relationships with one another in working things out and having that wisdom from above instead of going around grumpy all the time. Wise people have an uh, uh, inner joy that, or should have an inner joy that radiates to other people. The question is, is God making the church's faces shine? Are we allowing God to make, are allowing God to work a, a shining result in our face today in the church? Are we happy? If not, and by that I mean, do they see that we have an insurance of peace? Do they see that we have a way that we are confident in that we are trusting in God's way his word and and we're seeking out his wisdom do they see that in us and this is what churches need to ask if not we need to pray for greater wisdom to bring uh, that growing joy to our life that assurance to our heart that witness that we know Christ and that he's alive and he's made us alive. As his face shines upon us, our faces will shine with the wisdom of his radiant grace. As in 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul speaks of that. Now the preacher tells us how wisdom can help us in making the right decision. Solomon tells us how, uh, you know, wisdom looks in other words he tells us what wisdom does in in dealing with the people in absolute authority he says first of all wisdom should tell us to obey he's saying obey the king now there's some reasons for this i say keep the command of the king because of the oath because of the oath before god the preacher tells us to keep the king's commandment and that's not always easy. And he knew this. And this is why he's saying this. Why? Because there's several good reasons to obey the king. 
But what the scriptures literally say, because of the oath of God, that's what matters. This could mean because of an oath of loyalty that's made by the people, that were made by the people of Israel to the king. As an example, a vows of public officials to be loyal to the king and service, just like we are, we take these oaths to our country to be, you know, when you go in service or whatever, to be loyal to those, to our country, to the leadership, and to those in, in, in uh, uh, you know, authority. There is another way, though, to, uh, to take this verse, and it may be a divine rather than a human promise. And that goes even deeper, and, and it's more powerful. Example is the rightful kings that are put on the throne, and especially the royal throne here, they were put there because uh, they were recipients of a royal promise. And that promise was made from God. God had sworn to King David that one of his sons would sit on Israel's throne forever. And that is a covenant that God made to David in 2 Samuel. And David repeated it in Psalm 110, uh, 1. He says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit, on my, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The people of God were obliged to abide or obey, excuse me, their earthly king because he was anointed by the Almighty God. To obey the king is to give honor to God. That is the deeper part of it. It's kind of like what Paul says in Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. It tells us there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, what? Resist what God has appointed. Wow. Sometimes we don't like what has been appointed, do we? <laughs> I know I don't. We don't like it. But a lot of them in destructive demonstration is not, they're not using wisdom when they do that. It's one thing to we're allowed to demonstrate in an orderly way, but not in a disorderly way. But then many of those, I'm afraid, are not Christians who act that way anyway. So our submission to authority on earth is one important part of our submission to God in heaven. You may ask, does obedient have any limits? Well, if the governing authorities conflict with God's authority, then what must we obey? God's authority, right? That's what happened with Peter when he was preaching. They told him to stop. You remember in the New Testament, and he told the rulers of Jerusalem, we must obey who rather than men? God. But other than that, he's telling us, writer here and Paul that we should obey authorities over us and if we disobey then we're breaking 
his promise to the ruler and to God. So the first thing is that we're to obey. But the second thing is don't be disrespectful. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. In this cultural context, a hasty departure from the throne room was really a sign of disrespect a way of turning one's back on authority. And the preacher is not saying we never have a duty to disobey the government in order to fulfill our higher obligation to God. He's not saying that. But he is telling us not to be hasty. Use wisdom. Not to be hasty to walk away from any authority that God has put in place. How many times have we been hasty and acted in rash judgment or, uh, you know, hurried out or said things that we shouldn't have said and, and said them, uh, you know, uh, in, in haste instead of seeking out God's wisdom. I know because I've been there. I mean, we've been there. We've, we've dealt with that. And so he says, pray, you know, we're to pray for wisdom. Use wisdom instead of allowing our feelings and our emotions to override us uh, and the situation. And that is not always easy to do. There will be times when obeying the government will not be convenient. When it will interfere with other things that you want to do even. But we have to obey it. You say, when? Well, if you're summoned for jury duty. And you decided that you're going to take a vacation. Hmm. You better not take a vacation. That might be, not be the proper thing to do because the authorities have authority over us. The government does. And so in turn, we, uh, we need to be careful about what we do. Obedience is not contingent upon convenience. We're, we're to make sure, even with the things we don't agree with, that if they do not contradict God's and his word, then we should seek wisdom, not only in what we say, but how we say it and how we act. So we should, you know, a good thing that Will Rogers said we should take heed to and remember. If we think that government is, is too tough on us and, and, and it ever gets too big and too authoritative, which it can be and, and many people want it to be, uh, and especially when we're having to pay heavy taxes and all this, he said, we ought to be grateful that we don't get as much government as we paid for. And so, you know, that's, that's, he, he had some neat little sayings. Uh, tact is the ability to avoid needless offense. It includes having an awareness of, of and appreciation for other person's feelings in a situation. And then don't respond evil with evil, he says. Do not join, in verse 3, in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. This could mean don't promote the king's evil plan. And we certainly shouldn't do that. But it also could mean don't get involved in a plan to overthrow the king. And I probably would say within this context and what he's been speaking about authority, that's probably more likely what he meant there. Daniel you know, use wisdom and situation along with his friends. And they, uh, they took a stand against King, 
Nebuchadnezzar when he commanded all his subjects to worship him. But they did it in wisdom, in a godly way. But this is not to say that there is never a time to fight against tyranny, including by the rightful use of force. Ecclesiastes cautions us not to respond evil with evil. That's what they're saying. When suffering oppression at home or at work or in a society, uh, you know, do not let the desire for revenge turn our hearts to ungodliness. For he will do whatever he pleases, it says. So the scripture recognizes that those in authority will fire you if they want to fire you. And if you're going to act that way, then they'll certainly uh, fire you. And if you, uh, the government, they, they have the right to, uh, uh, to do whatever they need to do to take, uh, take you under, uh, uh, not force, but under subjection as far as doing, uh, for you doing what is needed to be done. You know, our Constitution, I, we, we have courts, police forces, armies to maintain these rights. And our Constitution is a good example of what's being referred to here. It says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, Established justice. And then it goes on. The closing words of the Constitution read. And that as free and independent states. They have full power. To levy war. Conclude peace. Contract uh, alliances. Establish commerce. And do all other acts and things. Which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. So our founding fathers recognize what? What the scriptures so clearly state. That government is ordained of God. It has power to function as such. And citizens are responsible to obey. Now, like I said, governments have this power, but if there is a higher power at times that we must obey, and that is God, if it goes contradictory to the Lord and His Word. This is a, one of the wonderful blessings of wisdom. It helps us know the right way to live, which includes submitting to government the way a loyal citizen should. And it says, since the the word of the king is authoritative. Who will say to him, what are you doing? It's a wise thing to obey government, he's saying. Obedience is expected of everyone. But to compel those who would disregard their responsibility, government has the right to increase punishment until compliance is obtained. For instance, young girl was telling her friend about a speeding ticket she got. $25 speeding ticket. She rushed down there to pay it. Now, 
She ignored it. She didn't pay another bit of attention to it, thinking that they wouldn't do anything, that they had ignored it too. Well, seemed like they did for a short while. But within a week or two, she got another notice. And this notice had increased her fine to $145. And there was a clear indication that the longer she waited, the larger the fine would grow. So that leads us to the next point, and that is using discernment. With this wisdom, we can use discernment. Man, we need to do what is right. Now, we know what she did was wrong. You don't get away with it. You've got to pay what you need to pay. I know that. And so we all know that. He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows a proper time and procedure, for there is a proper time and procedure for every delight when a man's trouble is heavy upon him. So the wise servant understands that time and procedure there is and must be considered in everything that we do. It takes discernment to know the right procedure for the right time. Joseph. He knew when the right time was for him to tell his brothers, didn't he? Nehemiah knew when the right time was because the king approached him with a troubled heart and troubled face. The apostles, <coughs> they exercised spiritual discernment. When they were arrested and, and persecuted in Acts chapters 4 and 5, they showed respect for, towards those in authority even though they had, they had been persecuted. And you know, they, uh, they had acted illegally. So we have the options of obeying, running away, defying others, and even fighting back. But before we act, we must first exercise wisdom. Seek discernment. Right time and procedure. There's a time to submit and a time to stand. And we need to know when. And then, acknowledge man's limitations. In seven, verses 7 and 9, the last verses. He says, if no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with wind. Or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge of the time of war. And evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun. Wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. Don't fight it, he's saying. We must live with a sensitive spirit towards God. And you can only develop that sensitive spirit towards God by having a relationship with him, an ongoing relationship. <coughs> As we talked about this morning, you know, judging someone else, when you're correctly judging them, you're going to seek, your first step is you're going to See where you need forgiveness and you're, if you're in a right relationship with the Lord. And then with that, you're going to see what God has done for you and the forgiveness that he's offered to you before you go to your brother and deal with him properly. And here's what he's saying. He's saying pray and act when we, uh, and then do it in the right time. Do what we know from God in this word to do. And don't get stuck in the quagmire of what if or what was right 
you know, what I did, what about if it was right or not. We pray about it, we seek it out, we seek our heart out, and we do it the best way we know how and move on from there. Christian needs to be preparing himself for these times before they ever come. Not to wait until they occur. We should remain poised, he says. On the things you cannot control, what he's telling us is just chill out. Just chill out. Just rest. Learn to wait in the grace of God. And that's not always easy. You know, Joseph waited 13 years for the right time. Uh, Abraham waited 25 years. And Jacob waited 20. And do you know that the, he, the, the saints of Hebrews chapter 11 waited a lifetime, then died in faith, not receiving the promise, it says, in Hebrews eleven thirty nine 39, and 40. There are things keeping us awake at night. Why are they keeping us awake at night? Sometimes that's happened, hasn't it? There may not be with you right now, but it has happened. Are there things keeping us awake at night? What are these things? Why? Can we change them? If not, then why should we worry? We can't change them. And worry's not going to change them a bit. We're not in control. That's what he's telling us. But that's okay, isn't it? I mean, he's letting us know that's okay. What we do know is we have God's word. We do have that. And if we're a believer, we also have the Holy Spirit. We do have him. And we have him living within us. On a permanent basis. We have God who is always going to be there for us. So if we spend time with God in study and prayer. And if we live according to his will the best that we know how. Then he says and not trying to manipulate God to do what we want him to do. Then we should just be able to chill out and rest. Are we doing that? Are we living the Word of God today? You know, children, they need to learn to live the Word of God today. Have they demonstrated their love for God and obeying them and obeying their parents and letting them know it and letting them know how much they love them? Married, have we demonstrated the love of God by loving our wives? And our children the way that we should. Are we honoring God? If we're okay with all the above. You might say, why do I still struggle? It might be because the preacher shared there is a proper time and procedure for every delight. We know who holds tomorrow. Even if we don't know what holds tomorrow. And sometimes we let that what bother us. But the who should come first in the sense of being the greatest in our life and calming our hearts and souls. No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. There is no discharge in time of war and evil will not deliver those who practice it. In other words, 
He's telling us, just like we cannot change the wind, neither can we change another spirit. Even though we'd like to change somebody, and man, you know, we can't take it into our own hands to change them, can we? We've got to let God change it and change the situation. Now, it doesn't mean that we should just sit back and do nothing. We should do what? Go about life and live in God's will, and this will bring about the peace. Just living each day and trusting in God and going on and knowing what the, uh, the hope is in our life and who has the hope and knowing that one day it's all going to be taken care of. He's going to rectify everything. Scriptures tell us it is appointed for man once to die. The preacher said there is a time to be born and a time to die. Those times are God's timetable. Then he says there's no discharge from war, nor wickedness deliver those who are given to it. The Bible regards military service as a noble calling, and preacher recognizes that, and, and he's realizing that it's a dangerous occupation. A good soldier cannot stay out of harm's way, and they are not to quit their post, but to honor God, the authority there, in that way by staying there and obeying that. A soldier in wartime deals with the real possibility of death at any moment. He of all people knows that he does not have the knowledge of the future or power over the day of death. Nevertheless, a soldier must do what he's commanded to do. He doesn't have authority to change all that. They are dealing with the great matters of life and death every day. We all face uncertain futures. The gentleman that I was talking about at first, and I'd like to close with this, the last days of Helmuth von Malky were characterized by confidence in knowing and walking with Christ. Although he was innocent of all charges, once he was convicted by the Nazis, he knew that he was a dead man. Any day could be his last day. Nevertheless, in his last letter, he was filled with joy and confidence in the goodness of God. He was suffering from the evil described in Ecclesiastes 8-9. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. Where one man has power to hurt another. Yet at the same time he had wisdom that comes from knowing Christ. Thus, he was able to tell his beloved wife that the agony of parting, the terror of death, and the fear of hell had no power over him. Instead, he was overwhelmed with faith, hope, and love. And he said, I know I am living only in his grace. And he quoted a line from a favorite hymn of his, He for death is ready, who living clings to thee. If we're wise, we will also cling to thee. Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer.